All right, we're on session three, so turn in your workbooks here to detour section three. This is a real interesting talk. It's called Joseph and His Choices. You all know that you're raising kids. You want them to make good choices. How many of you have kids that always make good choices? I don't see a hand. <laughs> why, why not? Because uh, my kids never did. <laughs> my kids made some dumb choices, stupid choices. Oh, my goodness. One time my boys got in trouble. They got, ran around with some kids that were kind of trouble, and they took a bunch of, what did they do to the swimming pool? What did they put in the swimming pool? They put red dye, red dye. They took a bunch of packages of red dye, and they threw it into the swimming pool of one of these kids' families. It turned the entire pool looking like blood. It clogged up the filters and ruined all kinds of stuff in it. Well, they got found out about that. That was not a really wise decision to do. My son Adam was the captain of the soccer team. He'd just been inducted into the National Honor Society the week before. He was the president of the senior class. When they went to a soccer trip up to Asheville, North Carolina, and played a team, coming back home from the game, he mooned the opposing team out the window of our school bus. Some of you may, what does that mean? He pulled out his pants and showed his rear end. He had kind of bleached curly hair. And so everybody on that team knew who he was. Called, the principal called our principal. They called Adam in the next day. Did he admit to this? And he says, yeah, I did it. And they suspended him from school. They took away his honors. They took away his offices. They took away all that. And he didn't receive those back. He was able to go back to school after a few days. But that's... I said, Adam, what the heck are you thinking? Why? <laughs> Terrible choice. End of the story has a happy ending. You know, the Bible says all things work together for good to those that love God and those that moon their opposing players. Something, it says something like that in, to, in, in the scripture. I, I'm just reading in a couple of little extra things there, but... When he was applying to go to college at Furman University in Greenville, where his brother had attended, there was an application he had to fill out. And the application, it said, have you ever been suspended from school? If so, why? <laughs> oh, boy. So Adam writes, he writes this comical story and says, if I'm ever allowed to come to Furman in those hallowed halls where my brother has attended for these years, I promise to keep my pants on at all times except for bathing and perhaps sleeping, never in public again while I ever do. He made this little funny talk about that. The people got so tickled reading it, they passed it around in the admission department. We knew some of the girls that worked there. And they, we go, we got to take this guy. We got to take this mooning guy, man. We're bringing him to our school. And that's how Adam got into college. <laughs> A terrible decision went haywire but turned out to be okay. Well, that's enough fun and games. Let's look at some serious decisions now. Because you know as well as I know that your decisions can get you into some big messes. And some of the secret things that you do or your kids do can get you in trouble. Every married man in this room, you know the lure and you know the power of sexual temptation. I used to think, okay, as a young boy, this was true, but then I'll get married and it'll all go away. 
it won't happen anymore. Well, that was a lie. Because as a red-blooded American male, it is always available and out there for you at any given moment of time. And Satan would love nothing better than to destroy your marriage, than to destroy the life of you as a father of your children by sexual immorality. It's everywhere in the movie. It's into our faces. It's into our media. It's in the books. It's in the magazines. It's everywhere you turn your head. You see things about this that can cause you to stumble and sin and to fall and to ruin and to destroy your life. Because of bad choices. I've known a lot of pastor friends who had that happen to them. And it ruined and destroyed their families. And it ruined and destroyed their church ministries. And it just absolutely destroyed everything. Bad choices that they made. Well, today we'll look at Joseph in a terrible situation of temptation. And the choices that he made. So here we go. Terrible. When temptation comes to you. It's that apple and Satan. It says, now Joseph was well-built and handsome. That's an interesting way that the NIV states that, isn't it? Well-built and handsome. And after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, come to bed with me. Now, what this woman lacked in purity, obviously, she made up for in boldness. And she stated this to him, come to bed with me. She wasn't asking him. What, what do you think she had to do with servants around her house? Do you think she asked them, do you want to come and serve me dinner tonight? Do you want to cook? Would you like to clean today? No, she was used to commanding the servants to do anything that she wanted to have done. So when she spoke these words to him, there was only one answer that she expected could be given, and that was a yes, ma'am. Yes, master. And yet she didn't get that. She didn't beat around the bush. Joseph's situation made him vulnerable to temptation. He was isolated from family and friends, and he was probably lonely, and he was discouraged, too, at the same time. Think about this. He had no support. He had no accountability. I mean, look about it. I, I mean, who's ever going to know? I'm a Jewish guy who had to learn Egyptian language who had to learn Egyptian culture, who had to learn about how to survive in this harsh environment, who would ever know? There's no Egyptian inquire to be sold in the aisles of a grocery store. There's no news. There's no media. There's no internet to blab it out everywhere. Who would know anyway? So Joseph was probably lonely and discouraged. I sure would have been. Would have made him very, very vulnerable heard a pastor one time teach something like this and say, when anything comes to you regarding a sexual nature, you should think of the word halt, like a sign, like a street sign, halt. And here's four things which you should never make a big decision. You should always halt when you're number one, when you're hungry, when you're number two, when you're angry, when you're number three, when you're lonely, and when number four, you're tired. So what does the halt stand for? Let's say those words. What's the H? Hungry. What's the A? Angry. What's the L? Lonely. What's the T? Tired. If you're one of those four things, don't make any bad decisions. Don't make any decisions. Process that stuff until you can get in a better place. So take a, guys particularly, take a little bit of study of yourself. When are you most vulnerable? When are you most easily tempted? What time? What season? What situation or circumstance is an easy place for you to think wrong thoughts, see wrong things, do wrong actions? When is that? 
It could be after great success. It could be after great disappointment. But what's true about you? The next thing is this. Joseph's righteousness brought little reward. And he was both competent and handsome. And a powerful woman made repeated attempts to seduce Joseph. He had tried his best to live a God-honoring life in the tough circumstances of being sold into slavery. But now he's about to be tested. Maybe Mrs. Potiphar saw how Joseph led her husband's estate, how he led it with excellence. And that attracted him to her. On top of that, he was one good-looking hunk of burning love. I mean, he was a good-looking guy, and she saw this guy. How did Potiphar look? I don't know. <laughs> but in Joseph in the amazing Technicolor dream coat, he's kind of a fat, slobbery, kind of a slovenly-looking guy. Maybe he was that, and she said, uh, uh. Maybe, maybe she said, I don't know. But this powerful woman here made repeated attempts to seduce him. And what she said was a command. This probably wasn't the first time either. Maybe over and over and over. First Corinthians tells us the way of escape is if we choose wisely. Andy Stanley wrote one of the best books I've ever read. And I'm going to tell you that you need to use this with your kids and your children. If you don't take anything else from what I've said, home with you to remember, take this. This is worth it. This is worth the price of coming to the camp for the sake of your family and your kids. The name of the book was The Greatest Question Ever Asked. Now, that piqued my curiosity. I mean, I ask a lot of questions. There are a lot of good questions. But what does Andy think is the greatest question ever asked? And after reading his little short book, here was his words. What is the wise thing to do? That's seven words. So if you could teach that to your kids, we're going to learn a little lesson, kids. Won't you repeat this out loud to me? What is the wise thing to do? Say that with me out loud. What is the wise thing to do? Kids, say it with me one more time. And your kids say, what is the wise thing to do? Get them to say those words back to you. And to say, think those thoughts whenever you're tempted to say, I can do A, which is good and right. I can do B, which is wrong, sinful, or stupid. Oh, what is the wise thing to do? Always this one. Don't just put the choices out there and say, flip a coin, A or B. Well, B1, I'll go this direction. Ask yourself this question. What is the wise thing to do? The next one is this in verse 39. Here's what it says. But he refused. <laughs> she probably said, wait, wait, wait a minute. You can't refuse me. Do you know who I am? How dare you refuse me? I can imagine the dander that got up in her. It said, with me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in his house. Everything he owns he has entrusted to my care. So Joseph said no, and he knew why. Joseph refused to betray those who trusted him. So write that down in your book. When my kids were younger, there was a campaign about sexual purity that was called Just Say What? No. Yeah, that was popular years ago. But I didn't think that often worked so well. I think a better plan is to say to kids, teach them, just say yes to better things than falling into something like this. 
Give them something positive. This is something you should wait for. This is something that God has designed for you when you get married. Between a man and a woman that's special and sacred. And it's part of the whole process of why God made us the way we are. And if you ought to wait on this. And if you want to just have something like this illegally or immorally now, it's going to rob you of some things later on you could have that are beautiful. Teach them to say, I want to say yes to something better, not something that will scar me for life. And then that deal that Joseph refused to betray those who trusted in him. If I mess up my life this way, I will destroy my wife. I will destroy my life in front of my kids. In the love and the, the respect that they have for me and the integrity they think I possess. If I blow it in this area. My church ministry is history. I've known several instructors that walk through the Bible who are my dear, dear friends in this ministry. I've known a lot of them for 33 years. I've known a few of them that messed up morally. Every year when we go to training at the end, we go shake the hand of Phil Tuttle, our president, and we commit to him that I've been pure morally in my life and I will continue to do so by the grace of God. If you'll pray for me, that's the prayer I want, for, want you to pray for me as we leave today. And we shake Phil's hand and we commit ourselves to him. And we're held accountable to him to become pure and stay pure. And it's a sobering time for all of us as instructors. I've seen guys break it before, right and left. No longer teaching with us anymore. Ruining their families and their extended family and so on. No one is greater in this house than I am. My masters held nothing from me except you. Because you're his wife. How then... Could I do such a wicked thing and sin against you? Is that what it says? What does it say? God. He might say, you're beautiful. My flesh would be interested in you. However, if I do this thing, I'm not sinning against you. I'm sinning against my God. And that's an amazing statement by this guy in this particular statement, which I think is just absolutely incredible when I'm seeing it here. Joseph focused on what he had rather than what he could not have. This started with Adam and Eve and Satan in the Garden of Eden. Satan tried to create discontentment with Eve, and it worked. They had everything but one tree. Any tree of the garden you may freely eat, but don't eat that one. Boy, human nature is so much like that. If I see a sign that says, don't walk on the grass, I want to walk along there. And... Wet paint. Yeah, it is. <laughs> we always want the forbidden fruit while we can't have. And that's a thing that's happened to human beings, that one tree captivated her mind, started the whole ball rolling about sin, passed on to the human race. No wasn't as greater in my house than I am. My masters withheld nothing from me. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And that's what he said. Joseph recognized that all sin is ultimately against God. Yes, it would have hurt him. Yes, it would have hurt Potiphar, his boss. Yes, it would have hurt his broken and needy wife even after this had been done. But ultimately, all sin is against God. Next scripture says, and though she spoke to Joseph day after day. I wonder how much that was. You think it was two times? 
five days, a month? I don't know. But can you imagine that pressure every day? Maybe she got up around him and put her arm around him sometimes, and he was in an awkward position. I don't know. But day after day, she keeps going after him in this situation. And it's pretty sad. Joseph established clear boundaries, clear boundaries here. He said no. He even limited time being with her to help fight off the temptations. Here's the question for you. What steps do you take today to be morally true and pure to your wife? What steps do you take? So much harder today than ever before. You don't have to sneak into some bookstore to sneak off and see some picture somewhere. You're one click away than anything you want to see and fill your mind and heart with. Very simple. One click. Boop. Technology is a wonderful thing, but it's also a terrible curse. If how easy it is today. With your children and with your families, I suggest you have internet blocking software. You have certain things you can do to protect them the best you can from so many of these things. And Satan would like to hurl those fiery darts into the very hearts and lives of your kids. One click away. One day he went into the house to attend to his duties, and none of the household servants was inside. Now, this would have been very unusual, because in that kind of a house, in that kind of a leader's house, well, think about the, uh, the TV show Downton Abbey. How many times are there lots of servants in the house? All the time. They're downstairs, they're cooking, they're cleaning, they're walking. Out the there's never a time you walk into Downton Abbey and there's nobody there but one, one person. These servants lived for that household. They were in there. They were doing work. They were cooking and cleaning and doing all the stuff. They were there. So what had she probably done to get him all alone? Sent everybody outside. She had commanded them to go run errands and y'all get out of here. So now the whole house is empty. There's nobody there to vouch about for what happened and say, well, I saw it and she, she tricked him. No, there's no witnesses here. He's alone in a house, which absolutely probably made him think, what's happening here? Something doesn't look correct here. The Bible doesn't say, I'm, I'm not sure. But the truth is, Joseph knew when to resist and when to run. The Bible often tells us to stand firm. But what does Paul tell his young protege, Timothy, about sexual temptation? Does he say, stand firm and hope you can endure against it? Does he say that? He says, flee, youthful lusts. What does flee mean? Run as fast as you can in the opposite direction. Don't let it impact your life. Get away from it. What's the outcome here? When she saw that he had left his cloak in her hand, that coat he wore always got him in trouble. Do you see that? He was wearing a coat when his brothers took it off of him. He's wearing another coat, maybe a robe of some kind. She ripped it off of him. If I was Joseph, I'd have never put it on another coat or robe the rest of my life. I'd go bare-chested and walk around and look tough and buffed around. But I wouldn't, wear, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't have any robe and coat on anymore because every time I put a coat on, I'm in trouble. And so she took the cloak, and he ran out. She called her household servants. They all came in. Look, look, this Hebrew has been brought here to make sport of us. He came in here to sleep with me, but I screamed. Oh, my goodness. You ever heard the statement, hell hath no fury? 
like a woman scorned. All it takes is one statement from a female. Sometimes it can wreak havoc on a man. Now, it's a terrible travesty when a man has abused a woman and she makes an accusation and he's lying about what happened. But it's just as wicked when she makes a false accusation and the man saying, I had nothing to do with that. And all the sympathy goes to her when he had nothing to do with it at all. In this situation, this is what's going on. She is so ticked at this situation. She screams that she's been raped and assaulted. And so here's what's happening now. When he heard me scream for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. She kept his cloak beside her until his master came home. Then she told him this story. That Hebrew slave you bought, brought us came to make sport of me. In other words, he had his way with me. As soon as I screamed for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. The outcome, Potiphar's wife falsely accused Joseph of sexual assault. When his master heard the story, his wife told him, saying, this is how your slave treated me. He burned with anger. I talked to some people today. He said, do you think Potiphar believed Joseph or believed her? We have no way of knowing. Here's what someone said to me. If he really had believed her 100%, he would have had Joseph killed. But maybe he knew Joseph and said, well, I'm angry because I have to kind of side with my wife in this story. But I think there's 20% of me that thinks maybe she's not telling the truth. I wonder if he'd known that she'd kind of done something like this before. But maybe that's why he put him in a prison thinking that's where I'll have to send him, but I don't want to kill him. We don't know any of that for certain. But this is what's going on in the story, and now he burned with anger. The outcome, Potiphar believed her lies and became angry. Maybe he was angry at her. Maybe he was angry at both of them. We don't know for sure, but he was not happy about this situation. Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. So Potiphar had Joseph put in prison. What does Joseph get for doing the right thing? <laughs> prison. What does Joseph get for these false accusations? Prison. So here this guy is doing the right thing, and now it seems like he has the wrong outcome. What's wrong with his picture? He might be scratching his head here. And so here's the perspective of what's going on. Even though Joseph experienced unfulfilled desires, false accusation, a ruined reputation, and unjust imprisonment, he still chose to cling to his trust in God in spite of the circumstances. That, to me, is an amazing thing. I'm proud of him for saying no to Mrs. Potiphar, but, I'm, but still trusting God when you go from the prison, I mean the palace, to a prison when you think of prison, don't think of an American prison today. Think of some hellhole where no one ever cleans up the excrement, where no one ever cleans it out, where food is barely enough for them to live, a little bit of water and a little bit of bread or something thrown to these guys, all in this hellhole together in a confined space in an area. There were no decent prisons like we're aware of today. Here's what it reminds me of this story right now. Life is not what? Fair. It's another detour. 
Joseph had a dream. I was this one sheaf of wheat. You guys were all sheaves bowing to me. Another dream. The stars and the heavens and the moon all were bowing to me. That was my dream. And now I'm in Egypt. Now I'm a slave. Now I'm in prison. Dear God, it doesn't look like this dream is coming to pass of what you gave me back here. Did you really give me this dream? Maybe he doubted some, but the Bible doesn't say that he did. He kept his faith strong because what's fascinating about him, he's the same guy wherever he is, no matter what's going on. I don't think I'm that strong. I think I let circumstances sometimes get the best of me. Change my attitude, change my words, change my thoughts. And don't keep the same spirit that he tends to keep. Well, the answer to this is what we told you in session one. Still true in Joseph to this point in the story. And here it is. Why would God allow these detours? Because God cares more about the development of the dreamer than he cares about the fulfillment of the dream. He still had some character to learn on, to work on here. Until God put him in the place where he's going to be at the end of the story. Let's read that out loud together. Ready? Because God cares more about the development of the dreamer than he cares about the fulfillment of the dream. Does he care about the fulfillment? Absolutely. But more about his development and character. Here's your responses. These are the questions that you can ask yourself. You can talk about with your spouse. You can talk about with your families even. Great conversation on the way home to talk about some of these issues, particularly older kids that you would have. Joseph's circumstances made him vulnerable to temptation. What circumstances in your life makes immorality attractive to you? What boundaries do you currently have in place? What other boundaries do you need to establish? It's a great talk for a man and his sons to have. And let him know that this is something I've struggled with. This is something you will struggle with. Here's some things I believe will help you. And have that type of a talk and a conversation with them. Don't let the world have a conversation with them. Because if they do, they're not making wise choices. What is the wise thing to do? What circumstances tempt you to abandon your trust in God? How can you deepen your trust in God in spite of your circumstances? These are wise questions to ask. So... Philippians 1 6 says, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to what? Completion is the fulfillment of the dream until the day of Christ Jesus. The dream is going to be fulfilled, but not until God sees him go through this crucible of strengthening his character so when he steps into the role of leadership with Pharaoh, he will be perfectly positioned to save the world from starvation with a universal famine that was coming. Nobody sees that now, but that's what's going to happen in this story. So I hope this session's been a good session for you. You've learned some practical things that will help you if you'll work through some of those issues privately or with your spouse. And that would be a good role for you to play. Let's extend our hands today, and I'll bless you to keep hands that are pure and true. Father, for every hand of every person that's open today, I pray that you would fill that hand, those hands today with purity and with truth and with love and with life abundantly. 
And she would not let Satan get into our hearts and our heads and into our lives. But she would help us to stay strong. When temptation comes, help us to run. And help us to always ask this question. When we're ever tempted, what is the wise thing to do? May every hand be open to think and remember those words we ask in the name of Jesus. Amen.